Shabbat Shalom, everyone. All right, we're just going to get, we got a lot to cover today, so we're, we're going to get right to it. If you remember last week, I brought a concept to the table, very, very important, a vital concept known as the spirit of the law, the spirit of Torah. What Paul typically refers to simply as the spirit or the newness of the spirit or the ministry of the spirit. But what I'm going to tell you right now, this is not an option for any believer to possess. You must possess this understanding. You have to have this, especially in light of all the chaos, all the delusion, the deception, the erroneous teachings that swirl about today in regard to the Torah. And when I make that statement, I'm not just making this on one side of the fence. I'm talking about those who are clinging on to the letter of the law. I'm talking about those who don't really truly appreciate and understand what the new covenant is, what the spirit of Torah is to jump in the other side of the fence and dealing with those who are attempting to live lawlessly for Christ. Both sides of the fence. This concept is vital. This concept brings clarity to uh, waters that are very, very murky. And so what we are going to do today, we are going to dig deeper into this concept. And really, I'm, I'm trying to make this tangible for you. So that, because, you know, the reality is, as I mentioned before, last week, one of the things I said is this concept will affect the way you read the Bible. It will affect the way you grab the principles in the Bible and apply them to your life. You will read this so differently, you will apply it so differently, and the effect is, is you will be discussing your faith, you will be discussing the gospel on a completely different level than you have ever before. When you possess this concept. And so really, kind of spending some time on this, it's imperative. And it's going to unlock doors for Galatians, the book itself. That's why we're, we're really looking at this. By the time we continue on in Galatians, and we'll get back there shortly at some point, by the time we get back there, you're going to see how beautiful all this information is and how you can go through, now go through the book of Galatians. It's a breeze. There's perfect clarity. It makes sense, everything that Paul is saying. And so with that said, I want to open up today by taking you to a passage that I've actually quoted in this series. This is Yeshua. He says, it is the Spirit... Who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Understand something. When Yeshua speaks, when he teaches, what is coming out? The spirit of Torah. The spirit of the law is coming out of his mouth. Which means when he speaks, you want to listen. You want to listen very, very carefully. Today you are going to experience this firsthand. You're going to experience, I would say, without reservation, the greatest commentary you will ever hear on the Torah itself. You're going to get this by the greatest rabbi that has ever lived, meaning the Messiah, Yeshua. Where do we find this commentary? We find it in the Gospel of Matthew. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take you to Matthew chapter 5, and honestly, what I would call this, this is Yeshua's treatise on the Torah. 
This is his treatise on the Torah, and it's going to extend all the way into chapter 7. And there is, we're just going to be looking at one profound revelation after another. Really amazing. Uh, especially in, in, you know, and the reality is, as we go through this, you're going to see he's doing something very interesting. He is righting all the wrongs. All these misconceptions that swirl about in regard to the Torah, especially in his day, he's bringing clarity to them. So let's go to Matthew 5.17, a passage we've already covered. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the Torah till all is fulfilled. So this is really the beginning of his treatise of the Torah. And what does Yeshua do? Something critical. He is a wise master builder, our Lord Yeshua. And he lays the foundation. He lays the foundation of this treatise of the Torah. And what is the foundation? Do not think for a moment that I came to destroy the law. I've come to do the exact opposite. Now that's a powerful concept. That's a foundation that the law is stands. It is immovable. Don't think. And what's amazing, as we continue, he's going to break into the law. He's going to get right to it. Listen to what he says in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. The heart. He goes through the heart of Torah. What is the heart of Torah? It's the Aseret HaDevarim, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And he goes right to the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. So he brings this to the table. But listen to what he goes on. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Have you read the Torah? When you read the Torah, what you will find is, is any man who goes out and commits murder, they're what? They're to be judged. They're actually to be killed. In fact, at the numbers, in Numbers 35, towards the end of the chapter, what you read is the only way to cleanse land that has been defiled because of bloodshed, the only way to cleanse it is to kill the one who shed the blood. There's total judgment for murder. The, the Torah is very clear about this. Okay, so he lays this out. Now listen to where he goes with this. Talk about getting into the spirit of Torah. In verse 22, but I say to you, okay, so you have heard it said, this is the command, you shall not murder. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, just angry in his heart, and he goes on, without cause. Now, I, that's bracketed because that's not in the, in the text. But who is ever angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, in modern day turns, you idiot, you stupid, you empty head shall be in danger of the council, meaning this, this Sunidrion, this is the Sanhedrin. Whoever says to you, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What did Yeshua just do here? He just went to the spirit of the law. Okay, so you may think, oh, you know what? I've kept the Torah. I've kept the letter of the law because I haven't physically gone out and murdered anybody, so I'm not such a bad guy. Hold on a second. Yeshua is explaining something about the command itself. He's going to the command saying it's, it's much broader than you think. The intent of him giving it begins here in the heart. The eyes of the Lord roam through the land. What is he looking for? He looks at the minds and the hearts of men to find out who his servants really are. See, that 
begins in the heart. So if you think that you can go and you can have hatred and contempt in your heart and hang on to bitterness and you meditate on that, but because you don't go and act on it in the physical realm, that you are just in the sight of God or that you have kept the Ten Commandments that you've kept, thou shall not murder, you're deceived. This is what Yeshua is bringing to the table. Welcome to the spirit of Torah. This is the spirit of the law. And when I say that, that is the true intent. Yeshua is the lawgiver. If there's anyone to come on the scene and to share the intent of the law, to interpret the law, it is Yeshua. Period. He is, that is what he's doing. He's not changing the law. You know, how many of you have always heard, and this is getting more popular and it disturbs me. How many of you ever heard of someone come on the scene and, and the, 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 this is the pro-Torah crowd, and of course I would stand in that crowd, uh, but I certainly won't stand with this statement. And they would say, well, what you don't understand, you Christians don't understand that Jesus came and brought even a tougher Torah. He brought a stricter Torah. He actually, he, he increased its level of difficulty. Total fallacy, total fabrication. Not true. It's not true. Not at all. You can't find that anywhere. It doesn't exist. What Yeshua did is he come and taught what he meant when he gave the law. This was the original intent. It wasn't so that somebody could hold hatred and bitterness. Go and read the Psalms. Read what David does and read what he talks about. May my meditation be sweet to thee. May my meditation be sweet unto you. The meditations of our heart are so vital, so critical. Well, let me take you to 1 John and show you that if we hold hatred in our heart, we're condemned by the law, we're held guilty for this commandment. Listen to what he says, 1 John 3, 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding him. Fascinating, John was there in Matthew 5. He's one of Yeshua's disciples. He heard the sermon that we're going through right now. And his takeaway is very clear. The commandment condemns me, thou shalt not murder, if I'm a hater in my heart, if I hold bitterness in my heart. So very deceiving. This is where the devil really goes to work on us. Amen? Listen, he continues, going back to our um, Yeshua's treatise on the law. Going back to Matthew 5, we're continuing on verse 27. So he covered the sixth commandment. Now he's going to move on. You have heard that it was said to those of old. So he says this again. You shall not commit adultery. He moves from the sixth commandment, which is to kill. Thou shall not murder. Now he moves to the seventh commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery. You've all heard this. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You are guilty. If you are holding adulterous and lustful thoughts, men and women, you are guilty from the law. The very commandment that says, thou shall not commit adultery. The law condemns you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something right now, especially in light of the fact that this country is drowning in pornography. Drowning in pornography. Pastors drowning in pornography. Pastors getting taken away, swept away with lust and adultery. I want you to understand something. All of this begins here. So understand that the fact that if someone, before they actually do the physical act, who knows how many hours 
and how much time they have dedicated in their heart as fantasizing, having this carnival of debauchery going on in their mind, thinking no one sees, everything's fine. One thing I can promise you this, keep entertaining those thoughts. Keep entertaining those thoughts because all you're doing is training for the big day when you walk away from the Lord, when you actually commit the act itself. When you get involved in an adulterous affair and you destroy the lives of everyone around you. All of that begins in the heart. That's where it starts. So the more you, you may think you're getting away with it, so keep fostering these ideas in your heart, you're going to be exposed. And it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. Because see, when you're given that opportunity, when the devil creates an opportunity for you to fall into sin, you're already gone. You've been practicing. You're already guilty by the law. And so let me add a disclaimer to that, just to be clear. I'm not saying that every thought that comes into your mind makes you a sinner or you're condemned by the law. It's what you do with the thought. Okay, so when Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, right, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, he knows there's a war going on. There's a very scary war going on, and is it? am I the only one that realizes the war's here? The war's in the mind. Everybody that's dealing with fear, where is that? Here. Dealing with adulterous lust? Here. You're dealing with covetousness? Here. Jesus comes coming back in our mind. And yes, there is demonic influence that is going to come and try to persuade you. There is your flesh. That all your flesh knows is to walk away from the commandments of God. That's all it knows. So we are at war. And the war begins and is won by taking captive every thought to the obedience. Isn't that amazing? Thoughts, just thoughts. Intents of the taking them captive to the obedience of Christ. That's how we win. That's how the war is won. Amen? All right. Uh, continuing on in uh, Matthew 5.31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So if Yeshua's just going through the law. He's going through the Torah. We talked about murder. We talked about adultery. Now he's kind of, he's coming alongside of this. And now he's taking you to the book of Deuteronomy, explicitly chapter 24. That's where it talks about giving a certificate of divorce. Moving on to verse 32. But I say to you, Okay, so you heard what Moses said in, in the Torah, okay. But I say that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual morality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Understand something, Yeshua is bringing perfect clarity to what the Torah is really conveying. If a spouse is unfaithful, that is legitimate grounds for divorce, for granting a certificate of divorce. And we know this just because of what Yeshua says. Accept sexual immorality. Parektos. Parektos is accept. This is what it is. Lagu porneus. Okay, in the Greek, this is an excellent translation. Accept sexual immorality. In this case, pornea is fornic it's fornication. That's what it means. So in cases of fornication, there is a legitimate and a just cause to file for a divorce, but no other reason. Yeshua, I mean, he narrows this down. He is so crystal clear, unambiguous, doesn't leave any wiggle room whatsoever for us. He just lays it out. 
Now, what I want you to understand is Yeshua dealing with this topic in the first century, you need to understand, it was very, very controversial. This is something talk, that was talked about amongst the religious leaders of the day, and I'm going to tell you, it's not something they were unified on. They had different ideas what would truly constitute um, uh, the right for a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce. Pure and simple. In fact, this was the question that they asked Yeshua. And there's not a whole ton of questions that we see in the Gospels Yeshua is given uh, by the religious leaders of the day. But this is one of them. And listen to what they ask him. The Pharisees came to Yeshua, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Amazing statement. They're not, this is not to be funny. Not, they want to know, what say you, Rabbi Yeshua? How do you interpret the Torah? How do you read this? Before I show you how Yeshua responds, I want to give you a little backdrop to help you appreciate where these men are coming from and what I'm saying by this being a controversial issue. Uh, in the first century, there's actually two primary schools of thought. And it comes from the house of Shammai and the house of Hillel. In fact, Hillel was the grandfather of the man spoken of in Acts 5, Gamliel. Okay, so this is very prominent. And I could tell you, these two houses, these two schools of thought, they're a significant, uh, they significantly attributed uh, to, the, to the genetic makeup of the core, the foundation of the Talmud, which is to say the work of the Mishnah. Okay, a significant influence on that. Shammai got, began really strong. The school of Shammai began really, really strong. But and, and in the end, the house of Hillel ended up prevailing. And what you'll find is much of the Talmud hangs upon the, the, the school of Hillel. Well, what I want to do is I actually want to take you to the Mishnah. And we're going to look at these differing opinions on divorce. And it's really just going to give us an appreciation of, of what's going on in uh, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. And this is what we read. The house of Shammai say, a man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity, since it is said, oh, because he has found in her indecency in anything. Now he is quoting, this is a direct quote from the Torah itself, from Deuteronomy 24. So he's quoting this. And what is an interesting the house of the school of Shammai, they come away and it literally, the way they look at this is the very way Yeshua is teaching it. In Matthew 5, Matthew 19. Virtually verbatim understandings, virtually verbatim interpretations, which is really interesting when you consider the fact that when you look at the writings of Hillel or the, the school of Hillel, that, that thought, that lines up with Yeshua's ministry in general. But in regard to this specific topic, it does not. He completely lines up with the house of Shammai. Shammai is looking at this if there's indecency in any, in other words, if there's, a for, if there's an act of fornication involved, then there's a legitimate reason to divorce. All right? Now, going to the house of Hillel, this is what we read. And the house of Hillel say, even if she spoiled his dish, since it is said, because he has found in her indecency in anything. Absolutely amazing. They're looking at the same verse. 
The house of Shammai looking at the identical verse as the house of Hillel, and they could not be farther apart from each other. And isn't it interesting? When, when, the, when the rabbis come and ask Yeshua, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Do you see where this is coming from? It's coming from the house of Hillel, even if she spoils his dish. I mean, that's virtually any reason. This is how he sees it. So you mess up on my dinner. You know, my wife's not here today, so I can get away with this. But early on in our marriage, she was working the cooking thing out. Okay? She's a phenomenal cook now. So I'm blessed. I mean, I am blessed. But if I was of the house of Hillel, she'd have been gone long ago. Just screwing up one dish. You think of that. Now, here's where it gets really crazy. One of the most prominent sages in all of Judaism came on the scene not long after. Early second century. This is a, a, a man known by Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, the, the very one who proclaimed that Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. And you know how that worked. That didn't work out so well. Rome came in and destroyed them. And so Rabbi Akiva, one of the most profound sages... He took it a step further than Hillel. And this is what he says. Even if she, he found someone else prettier than she, since it is said, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes. Amazing statement. Going to the same exact passage, going way beyond Shammai, going even beyond Hillel, that even if this guy finds someone prettier. Now that's, that's an amazing thought because at least with Hillel, it had to do with her interaction between her husband. And this was, yeah, they're interpreting this as a major character flaw. You really screwed up my dinner. But with Rabbi Akiva, she's not even, it doesn't even matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your character is. It just matters if I find somebody prettier, hallelujah, you know, you're going to get a certificate of divorce. You cannot possibly tell me this guy was popular in his day with teachings like this. Now, especially among the women. I mean, right? I mean, you, you, you must be kidding me. We're, I mean, the sanctity of marriage, is, this, is, this is complete vanity, is what this is. And I don't mean to speak ill against Rabbi Akiva, but against this teaching, it's insane. This just doesn't make sense. But here you have three different schools of thought, if you will, all looking at the exact same passage, coming away with completely different interpretations and justifying. I mean, that's really an amazing thing. So, going back to our passage, Matthew 19. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So now you have some perspective as to why they would ask this. This was something debated. This is how he responds. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? Have you not read? This is, this is what's so magnificent. Read what? He's going to take them back to the Torah. He's going to take them back to Genesis 1, all the way back to the beginning. And here's a perfect example. You know, for those, I, I don't, you know, again, I have much crazier conversations than you probably have. But for those people that say, you know, I like to quote the, I like to quote the concept of Scripture should interpret Scripture. I mean, how many of us like to do that? You always get somebody, you know, Weisenheimer, come on the scene. Nowhere does Scripture say that. You're making that up. No, I'm not making that up. The concept is found everywhere. And I only bring this up because here's the concept. 
The concept in action. Scripture must interpret Scripture. So for me to understand what Moses said, I need it all. I need to make sure that I'm not walking away and talking like Rabbi Akiva. Or, or even the house of Hillel on this. And so he takes them back to the Torah. He's literally going to quote Genesis 127. That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. And said, now he jumps, Yeshua just jumps, he doesn't tell you, but he jumps to the end of chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Moving on, verse 6. So then, they are no longer two, but one. They're achad, basar, okay, basar achad, one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Yeshua just revealed here that marriage is not just something of the flesh. It's not just this physical act that, that, that we take part in. It is profoundly spiritual. The joining together of a man and his wife is literally from God. Okay? That union God himself has made. And so do you understand when a man goes out to destroy what God has built, what does it make that man? An enemy of God. Why, do, why does the prophet Malachi say, the Lord hates divorce? And then there's this little statement added to it, a little just after. It covers one's garment with Hamas, with violence. Do you know where you read that very word, violence, Hamas? Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis 6 and read why God destroyed the world in the days of Noah. Go back and read it. It says explicit, he, he destroyed it because of Hamas. The very word. And so when a man goes out to destroy what God, or a woman goes out to destroy what God has accomplished, you are tearing down what he has built up. You cover your garment with Hamas. That is a frightening thing. See, this is the reality Yeshua is getting across. This truth, this reality. Now, as we continue, the Pharisees with Yeshua's rebuttal here, they're not completely satisfied with this. They want to press the issue further, and I understand why. And they said to Yeshua, Why then did Moshe command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Okay, Yeshua, I understand. Okay, you go to Genesis 1, the two become one flat. Yeah, we, we don't dispute that. They don't dispute that. They're not saying that is in Scripture. They adhere to it. Where they get lost to say, well, then help us understand, why is there a certificate of divorce even mentioned in Deuteronomy 24? Such is the case as what you're telling us. All right? And he said to them, Moshe, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now, let's be honest. If we're to isolate this passage, no other influence of any other passage... In, of the kind, okay? We're just to look at this for what Yeshua is saying. At first glance, it kind of sounds like Yeshua is saying, Moses, he, Moses came on the scene, he loosens the reins of the sanctity of marriage. It kind of sounds a little bit like Moses came on the scene and, and just decided to do something a little bit different than what God had originally designed. I mean, how many of you can be honest? When you just read this, this is what it looks like. The question is, is that what Yeshua is saying? Is this the idea that he is conveying? And I'm going to tell you right now, absolutely not. 
That is not what he is conveying. Yeshua is simply conveying that Moses had to offer a resolution because of sin. That's what he had to do. What did we read in Galatians 3? See, this is how this beautiful thing all comes together. What did we read in Galatians 3? The law was added because of transgressions. The law was added because of transgressions. Now you're getting to see a real life example of what that really means. How we can look at scripture and apply that concept. So unfortunately, because of sin, because of adultery, Moses, he had to bring forth a response to this. And this particular response is to adultery is certificate of divorce. And just look at this statement here. I'm going to highlight it. Because of the hardness of your hearts. This is, this is a key component to really understanding where Yeshua is coming from. What is a hard heart? A hard heart is a heart that rebels against God, that will not hear his voice, that will not hear his commandments. It refuses it. That's what a hard heart is. What is someone that commits adultery on their spouse, that fornicates? Call that a hard heart. That's what you have. So because of sin, because people would have hard hearts, because they would end up in fornication, we had to have a resolution because this is not of God. To have a spouse go and commit an adultery on their spouse, to go and do that is vile. And to think that they're going to come home and just be joined. Let me ask you, I dare you to go through scripture and see how that works between Israel and God. He casts them off. He will not accept. You cannot fornicate with the gods of this earth and think you're going to come and praise the most high God who created heaven and earth. It's not going to happen. The whole concept is vile. Therefore, the certificate of divorce had to come into play. All right? One thing that you need to understand here, Yeshua is simply teaching exactly what Moses taught. That's it. He's giving the correct interpretation of it. Unlike many of the rabbis of his day, he's giving the correct interpretation. And to prove my point, I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy 24. I want to show you the passage that has caused so much uh, debate the very passage. And when we look at this, you'll understand. In Deuteronomy 24, 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes. Now, here's what's interesting. Because he finds no favor in his eyes. You know what's fascinating to me is when Rabbi Akiva came on the scene, this is the part of the text that he focused on. This is the part he focuses on. And what's so amazing, and you're going to see this. This is, this is just throughout in my experience throughout time. When I'm dealing with people that are perverting the word, okay, and they're twisting scripture inside and out, it's because they grab a portion of the, the, to focus on where the emphasis was never meant to be focused on while neglecting the other. You want an example? Matthew 7.23. Where the Lord says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Now you have, the, you have these conversations with some Christians and they'll say, well, yeah, the reason he told them to depart from them is because he never knew them. All the emphasis goes, oh, he never knew them. Never mind defining what that meant. You practice lawlessness. Rabbi Akiva did the same exact thing right here. You gotta see, I mean, when you see these patterns erupt in how people twist and pervert scripture. It's the same, just different, different passages, different topics. But here Rabbi Akiva is focusing all this while ignoring the rest of it. Well, listen to what it goes on to say. 
because, okay, so he has found no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. I'm going to tell you right now, the key to understanding all the emphasis is right here. This is what's given the power to even go forward to give a certificate of divorce. If he has found some uncleanness, see, that's what it means to find no favor. Now, in the Hebrew, we got to go to the Hebrew on this. It's erva. Erva. And actually, it's, at times, you'll see it, ervat. It simply means nakedness or nudity. Okay, so what's interesting about this passage is this is a very unique way that they have chosen to translate erva into uncleanness. That's not how you typically, and just go home, do the word study. That's not how it's translated typically. It's typically translated nakedness. But it, it's more important than that. Nakedness in the context of fornication. Let me show you. I want to take you to Leviticus 18. And in Leviticus 18, it's interesting. Because this word is actually found roughly 50 times in the Tanakh. Okay? Almost half of those times, you will find in Leviticus 18. And what is Leviticus 18? It's a chapter dedicated entirely to sexual immorality. Oh, and then you also find it several times in Leviticus 20. Again, a chapter dedicated to sexual immorality. Okay, so this is critical. So we're going to go to Leviticus 18. And this is what we read. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Every single time it is the word erva. Every single time. And I want you to understand this is not just simply seeing them uh, just with their birthday suit or in their skin. The context of this goes beyond that. It goes into fornication. And let me just jump ahead a little bit and show you. Leviticus 18, 18. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. So be no intimacy. Again, the word is erva. You understand? So when we look at Deuteronomy 24, and it says because he has found some un its nakedness, the nakedness of a thing, the fornication of a thing. When he finds this, wasn't that interesting? That's exactly what Yeshua is teaching. That's what he taught in Matthew 5. This is what he's teaching in Matthew 19. Again, reading. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put it away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts. Again, we covered that. This fornication, people fall into fornication. He permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Moving on to verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and that would be erva. This is the concept of fornication, pornea, uncleanness. And marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So the simple point, we go back to Matthew 5.32. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. It's the same thing. It's all consistent. Yeshua is teaching the spirit of the Torah. He's giving the true interpretation of what Moses laid down. And he's still holding fast to it. People still have the right to give a certificate of divorce in the case of adultery. In the case of all that. Having said that, and 
you know, I, I'm going to tread lightly here, and I don't even want to get into this because I want some, you know, people, and it's not even maybe even necessarily in this room, but watching live stream or watching on video later. Divorce is very prevalent. There are many people who have been divorced, and they have been hurt, and it's painful. And it's, it's the ugliest thing. If you've ever been through it, you know how ugly that is. And if you're the one that screwed up, I'm going to tell you today, you need to repent for that. It may have been many years ago. You may not have repented. You may think you were justified. But I'm going to tell you, you could be opening up doors to Hasatan to keep you in bondage. And so you want to repent. And the good news is, is there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness with Yeshua. Whoever confesses their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins. So we have that hope. But you better let teach today's teaching sink into your heart, knowing that God does not tolerate this. You just don't be a dog to its vomit thinking, well, you know, he forgave me once. You know, we'll just do this again. See, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So we're going to come at this hard. Amen? So that you just understand. Ah, uh, where am I? Verse 33. Again, moving on in this treatise of the Torah. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. You shall not swear falsely is actually found right in the heart of Torah, Leviticus 19. It says, you're not to swear falsely in my name is actually what the text says. And Yeshua brings this out, brings this concept of Torah. Of course they've heard it because they study the Torah. But you've heard this. And Yeshua comes and brings the spirit, the intent of the law. This was given to put the fear of God into you to not swear at all. It's better to not swear. He goes on. Nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your, let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. See, when you're prompted to start swearing by heaven and by earth and all this stuff, it is the enemy setting you up because you will be held accountable and he knows the Lord will hold you accountable. We're to fear God, not do this. Let me show you what Ecclesiastes has to say and show you how Yeshua is teaching the spirit of the law here. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. It's a good thing to not vow. It's better to not vow. Don't put yourself in a situation where you end up vowing, but you don't make good on it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Deuteronomy 23, verse 22. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. It's not sin to abstain. There's a reason this is put there. So Yeshua is just putting this all together. The spirit of the Torah. Matthew 5, 38. He continues in his treatise. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And to anyone who wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile... Go with him too. And so here we have this infamous passage, eye for an eye. 
And actually, you find it quoted in, in the Torah several times. You find it in Exodus, you find it in Leviticus, you find it in Deuteronomy. You know, you look at this verse, I mean, we're kind of confronted in the same situation again. You look at this verse as is, with no other influence, it almost appears as though Yeshua is saying, eye for an eye, the whole intent of the law was to give us a legal right to get revenge. And that Yeshua, he's come on the scene and he's revoked that legal right. He's revoked what the Torah actually says. I want to be clear. That is not what Yeshua is saying here. Not at all. Despite the fact that some Christians fall into that trap, they, they actually believe that. And I can tell you after many conversations, they will utilize this to their advantage in espousing antinomianism or that Jesus did away with the law. And they will say, well, do you, do you believe an eye for an eye? Well, Jesus didn't. Jesus came on the scene and he brought a higher way of living, a greater moral law. Okay, the eye for an eye is barbaric. See, Yeshua brought what was civilized. Yeah, this, is, this is totally antiquated. Why anyone would look at the Torah, look at eye for an eye, is that that's a good thing to go take vengeance? That's not very Christian. Unfortunately, what they fail to realize is that Yeshua is doing nothing more than simply teaching the spirit of the Torah here. He is not doing away with eye for an eye. Not at all. He's actually validating it. I want to be clear about something. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as stated within the Torah. This is not a prescription for vengeance. You hear me? It's not a prescription for vengeance. In fact, what you find is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, I will tell you, it is the most relevant concept, second only to faith in Christ, in all of the faith. It's the most relevant concept. It's the most commanded. And you'll see what I mean as we continue. I want to take you back to the Torah. And I want to frame this up and show you what eye for an eye really means. And the first thing I want to show you is what Yeshua showed you. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, you've heard that? Well, I tell you, do not, resist, you res, do not resist an evil person. He slaps you, turn him the cheek also. In, in other words, it's not about vengeance. Leviticus 19 says this very thing. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall not take vengeance. So here's the thing. Before I even get to Leviticus 24, that says eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, I have to work within the parameters of the totality of what Torah says, and it does not allow me to even go there to think, oh, now this is a legitimate right for me to go take vengeance. He gouged my eye. Now I'm going to go gouge his eye. Doesn't work. The Bible prohibits you. The Torah itself prohibits you from thinking like that. If we would just listen, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. If we understood the true content of what the spirit of the law is we wouldn't get ourselves into these problems let me take you to, to proverbs 24 and build on this do not say i will do to him just as he has done to me i will render to the man according to his work don't say it is this not what yeshua is teaching in matthew 5 it is we're not allowed to go there the hebrew bible doesn't allow you at every corner, it's telling you, stand down. Why? Vengeance isn't ours. 
In fact, this is the point that the Apostle Paul brings to the table in Romans 12. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Oh, he's quoting the Torah, Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is not ours. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth does not give you the right to go take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. That's why Yeshua is teaching what he's teaching in Matthew 5. Okay, so if eye for an eye and tooth for tooth is, is not about taking vengeance, what is it? What is it about? Very simply, it's a warning. That's what it is. And what you'll notice is the Torah is filled with warnings. And even in, in Psalm 19, we're told that the law was there. It's a warning. It gives us all these beautiful warnings to prevent us from going off a cliff. Let me take you to Proverbs 26, 27 and show you what this is really about. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. Well, that sounds kind of familiar. So if I do something harmful to my neighbor, it's going to be reaped back on my own head. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. See, we're looking at eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the exact opposite way that we're supposed to be looking at it. Obadiah 115, for the day of the Lord is upon, uh, upon all nations is near. Judgment is coming, in other words. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is the judgment. It's coming. It's a warning. How, whatever you do to your neighbor in this life, you don't think you're going to get away with it. You're going to be judged at the end. It will be eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's good. You're going to reap what you sow. That's what eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is. Revelation 13.10, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. It's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Let me put this in a little different perspective for you. As we get into Matthew 7, so here Yeshua has his treatise on the Torah. Begins in Matthew 5, ends in Matthew 7. He closes, essentially, this treatise with this statement. Absolutely amazing. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the Torah and the prophets. What do we call that? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know what the Christians call it? The golden rule. The eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is the golden rule. Whatever we do to our neighbor, it's going to be reaped back upon us. Take it to the bank. So when we read Leviticus 26, 19, if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Sound familiar? Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so it shall be done to him. Warning. It's the golden rule. You will reap judgment upon your own head. Powerful concept. So when Yeshua is teaching, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, he's bringing the spirit of the law, the true intent of the law. What he set forth, what the lawgiver meant, he brings clarity. We're going to look at one more in Matthew 5, and then we'll close. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, where does he get this love your neighbor? We read it, Leviticus 19. Leviticus chapter 19 specifically says, love your neighbor. But then he adds something that you do not find in the passage. 
He adds this, and hate your enemy, okay? But I say to you, what are you to do? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, I ask you, is Yeshua bringing something different than what the Torah is saying? The answer is no. Actually, you'd probably be shocked, but the Torah is a book of love. It promotes love. Oh, guess what? It promotes loving your enemies. How do I know this? Let's go to the Torah. Exodus 23, 4. If you meet your enemy's ox, not your brother's ox, not your best friend's ox, but your enemy's ox, or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden, you, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what? You shall love your enemy as yourself. I mean, this is what the Torah teaches. Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For in so doing, you will reap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is what the Torah teaches. This was its mark that it was hitting from the very get-go, which the minds of men polluted to simply justify their actions. This is the spirit of Torah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue this into next week. Okay, we're just going to keep peeling back whole new layers. And I'm going to be jumping on the other side of the fence and defending against some other things. 